1: Hey everybody, a quick note before we get started. We were planning on airing these five episodes in August, a special update of Season 3, Where is Brandy Hall? But then something happened. There started to be some movement in the case, including a pretty good lead on where her remains might be buried. And so detectives with the Palm Bay Police asked us to hold off a bit as they pursued some newly uncovered information. We agreed because, like police, our goal is to help Brandy's family find closure, And if that meant standing back and letting police pursue a sensitive new lead, we were willing to give them the time they asked for. You'll hear all about that new information over the next five weeks. And I promise to break in with major news as it happens. Here is Palm Bay investigator Jeff Spears responding to my question about whether it was fair to say that new life has now been breathed into this investigation.
2: I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, We've taken a special interest in our cold cases. We, we do have some cold cases that uh, well, we, want, we want to solve all cold cases, but we have some that um, we want to really look at again because there may be some things that are missing or there's other people involved. In this case you have uh, Mr. Sandberg, uh, the private investigator who is doing a lot of work behind the scenes to, to help bring some closure to this case. So in the last year we've taken a closer look at this case. We've tried to pick up on it a little bit. We've uh, reassigned this case to a different detective, and uh, just trying to get some new eyes uh, involved and seeing what we can do that may be missing that um, we haven't checked into yet, and then obviously taking a look and following up on the leads that we're getting from uh, Mr. Sandberg, and so that's what brings us to present day, is that uh, we've done some look into trying to find her whereabouts, and trying to figure out if we can actually locate Brandy and, and bring closure in that way. And uh, so we have some things planned here in the near future that we're, we're hoping that uh, is fruitful and successful. Um, but, you know, we're still running hard with the case. You know, we, we still considered it an active case in our eyes, you know, and, and following up on leads and, and looking into things that we can re- revisit that will help us out with the case.
1: We will be there. And of course, I will keep you posted. And now, on to our episode. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall?
3: She was a true country girl, tomboy. She could outdo things most guys couldn't do. I mean, welding, fishing, hunting, shooting. She could shoot better than anybody I know. Um, She could weld better than most men I know.
4: She was well-liked by a lot of people in the community you have somebody who's a firefighter and this hero role model type person that disappears and so it's gonna draw people's attention to her and to the case.
3: Just somebody tell me where my daughter's at. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Go screaming or what do I need to do? It's like, where is my daughter? Where are you, Brandy? Where are you? Dear God, where are you?
5: (laughs)
1: I'm John Torres, and welcome to the first of a special multi-episode update of Murder on the Space Coast Season 3, Where is Brandy Hall? I told you I'd try my best to keep you updated, and so you can probably expect more of these to pop up from time to time as things start to heat up once again in the search for Brandy Hall. Two private investigators have been working on the case for the last year or so, and are focusing a lot of their efforts on Brandy Hall's last known 24 hours. The episodes that follow will do the same. But before I get started, I have some sad news to report. Remember this voice from the podcast? How often do you think about this case?
5: Every day. And when I pray every night, Brandy and that very important person that's important to the case, I say, Lord God, make him do something to where we can get her body back.
3: Mm.
5: But that's an everyday occurrence with me as, and my wife, too. When she was still alive, she prayed every day.
1: Wow. So it's just the kind of case that's just on your mind all the time, basically. Absolutely.
5: She's never far from my thoughts.
1: Have you ever thought about the possibility that we may not get this thing solved before you go?
5: Yes, but I don't entertain that thought very long. That's just not in my way of thinking or my vocabulary. I'm going to live long enough, even though I've got some serious problems, I'm going to live long enough to get her back.
1: As much as Sid Ladau tried, it was not meant to be. Sid, the tireless old detective who spent nearly his entire retirement trying to solve the Brandy Hall case as a favor to the Palm Bay Police Department and Brandy's family, died on April 24th. He didn't get to bring closure to Brandy's family, but he did get his other wish, to be reunited with his wife Sue, who died in 2016. As you might remember, Sid still every day set out a coffee mug for his wife. What's your favorite song to play on the
5: guitar? After all these years, it's a love song. It's an Irish ballad of the man is singing to the woman. And he says, you know, he take my hand. And he looks at her hand and it's wrinkled. After all these years, he, he still loves her, you, you know? Uh,
1: Sid died peacefully in his sleep after seeing his health decline over the last two years. He kept smoking right till the end and I would get on him about it. He'd laugh at me and say quitting smoking is easy. I've done it a thousand times. He'd also joke that he smoked so that he could cough and clear out his lungs, making it easier to breathe. About a week before he passed, Sid told me that he had just plunked down $125 to fix his hearing aid. When I asked him how it worked, he told me that he could now hear a gnat fart from 200 yards away. Sid was a character, and I'm proud to have been counted among his friends. He was also, like I said, tireless. Six days before he died, we met for lunch with Brandy Hall's mother, Debbie Rogie. They talked about theories and strategies. It'll be sad to see this case solved without him, but I'm convinced it will be solved. And in large part, thanks to all the work Sid put in. Now, before he died, Sid became good friends with private investigator Nick Sandberg, who I will introduce in just a little bit, and who has taken over the reins of Sid's investigation. Like me, Nick was stunned... To learn of Sid's passing,
4: met with Sid a lot, uh, a lot of dinners at, and lunches at Sonny's. Um, basically, got a phone call out of the blue. I was talking with a messenger the night before, um, and then the next day I got a phone call. Just, hey, Sid's passed away. Complete utter shock. So he didn't mention anything in his uh, messenger that feeling, you know, anything different than what he normally felt. So def- definitely a lot of emotions running through. It's like, oh my gosh.
1: There was quite a turnout for Sid's farewell. And I have to be honest, it was really nice hearing from others that Sid spoke fondly of me. But I know that Sid would also not want us dwelling on his passing. Instead, he'd urge us to continue investigating Brandy's disappearance. And so we will. Now, just a quick recap for those not familiar with the case or who have short memories like me. On August 17, 2006, a 32-year-old firefighter by the name of Brandy Hall left the Malabar Fire Station where she was a volunteer firefighter shortly after 10.30 p.m. She has not been seen since. Brandy was a married mother of two. Her children were 5 and 10 years old at the time. She was trying to get her job as a paid firefighter in Palm Bay reinstated. She had been fired after getting arrested in connection with her husband's marijuana grow house operation in Osceola County. Initial charges against Brandy were dropped and her husband, Jeff Hall, took a plea deal. He knew he was looking at prison time, which would mean Brandy would have to manage alone with the kids for a while. Jeff was to be sentenced the day after Brandy went missing. Weird timing, right? Now, all was not perfect in Brandy's and Jeff's relationship. Brandy was having an affair with then-married Palm Bay Fire Captain Randall Richmond. Randall was the last person Brandy was known to have spoken to. The lovers talked by phone for nearly 11 minutes after Brandy drove away from the Malabar firehouse the night she disappeared. After Brandy's disappearance, Randall lied to police, saying that he had not spoken to Brandy in weeks. Two days later, though, he came clean. He claims Brandy told him she was meeting someone for money and then was planning to leave town. Those who know Brandy say that she would never have left her young children alone, knowing her husband would soon be serving time in prison. The day after she disappeared, Brandy's prized green, tricked-out Chevy Silverado pickup truck was found in a nearby pond. It had blood inside that was eventually identified as hers. The police initially treated the case as a missing person, but soon began treating it as a homicide. Their efforts were complicated by the lack of a body. In fact, it wasn't until 2016 that a court ruled that Brandy was dead. A few other odd things occurred. Brandy's bag with personal belongings was found a year later in a Vero Beach Canal about 30 minutes south of where her truck was found. Then, the next year, her Osceola fire helmet washed up on the banks of the Indian River under Mather's Bridge in Indian Harbor Beach. Clues, yes, maybe, but nothing leading to Brandy. And that's pretty much where we've been stuck since. The Palm Bay cops called in retired detectives Sid Ladao and Doc Jones to see what they could churn up, and they made great inroads and brought together new insights and theories, but still, no body and no arrest. So what happened to Brandy? Was her murder drug-related? Was it caused by a jealous lover? Jealous spouse? or jealous spouse of her lover? All those theories have been floated. None proved. There were rumors, lots of them, involving Brandy's husband's drug operation being bigger than police led on. There were also rumors of swinging parties between married couples and other affairs. So as you know, we explored all these theories and more during Season 3 of Murder on the Space Coast. The podcast did result in some leads that were turned over to the police. Nothing has led to any arrests at least not yet. But you know the saying, it only takes one? Well, I think for me and for Brandy's family, that one just might happen to be a former police officer driving back to his hometown of Palm Bay after spending time in the military and as a South Carolina police officer. The aforementioned Nick Sandberg, now a private eye, was coming home. And during his drive, Nick started listening to Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy All?, As soon as Nick returned to Brevard, he called me and wanted to meet. And, well, the guy reminds me of a younger version of Sid. And he's worked his tail off and uncovered a lot of strange things that I did not know.
4: I'm taking care in this investigation as if it was my own um, to the scenario. Like, nothing has been done yet. So I'm going to basically turn over everything I can turn over, even though it's a 12-year gap. What I can find out, I'm going to find out. So... And the puzzle pieces are fitting together. It's coming closer.
1: There are a lot of moving pieces that do seem to be fitting together as I write this. Nick has received calls with tips, real tips, that seem to tie some things together. There is also some information I can't reveal just yet, but let's just say that Nick called me to tell me what they were in case something were to happen to him. So I've done the same, and I've told a few others I can trust as well, just in case. Hey, if you like investigative journalism like this and what we do with our free podcast, Murder on the Space Coast, please give us a five-star review on whatever app you are listening on. And please consider a digital subscription to Florida Today. The cost is less than a cup of coffee per month and would go a long way to ensure we can keep doing this. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash 321murder or call 877-424-424 0156 And use the promo code 6-8K to receive a special offer exclusively for podcast listeners. Now, two more quick housekeeping issues before we dive into Brandy Hall's last known 24 hours. Remember toward the end of Season 3 when I revealed that a user on SoundCloud was using an account with a very unique photo of Brandy? Well, Detective Rebecca Spears of Pombe informed me recently that they had a hard time obtaining any information because SoundCloud is a German company, and efforts to work with local law enforcement there in Germany proved unsuccessful. The other thing that happened was a search, where lots of volunteers came out late last year to look for Brandy. What I didn't know at the time was that the search was organized by a psychic who basically had a dream about where Brandy might be. Yeah, a psychic— she was also able to get a well-known forensic anthropologist down here to help. His name is Dr. Arpad Vass, and, well, he was very secretive about his new invention. A grave detector that uses a fingernail from a family member to detect DNA in graves. Sound too good to be true? Well, he had DNA from Brandy's mother, and he identified a spot in a Palm Bay park where a metal detector determined that there was jewelry buried six feet deep. That was in late 2018. I was informed in July by Sergeant Jeff Spears of the Palm Bay Police Department that they had been working with a different expert, Dr. Heather Walsh, an anthropologist with Florida Gulf Coast University, about coordinating a dig. He assured me it would be taking place in the near future. I'm doubtful that this dig site will yield any answers to the Brandy Hall mystery. Why? Well. Just about everyone I spoke to doubts that there was a body there at all, and no one believes it is Brandy. But I'll keep you posted. Okay, the last day Brandy Hall was known to have been alive was Thursday, August 17th, 2006. That morning, Brandy and everyone else woke to the news that the case of who murdered six-year-old beauty queen JonBenet Ramsey ten years earlier had finally been solved. The headlines announced that John Mark Carr, on the run in Thailand to avoid child pornography charges here in the U.S., had confessed to the killing. But Carr was released a week or so later when neither his confession nor his DNA matched the crime scene. Brandy had a lot on her mind that morning. Her husband was due to be sentenced to prison the next day, and even though serious drug charges against her had been dropped... I recently learned that Osceola County prosecutors had levied a new charge against her for commercial littering, charges that her attorney at the time, Ron Ecker, felt were filed out of frustration after the initial case against Brandy fell apart. Ecker was confident those charges would go away as well, but he did say that Brandy was worried about it. He said Brandy's main concern was her children. Remember, they were only 5 and 10 years old and was afraid both she and her husband, Jeff, would both be ordered behind bars. Here is her attorney, Ron Eckert. She was
4: very anxious. I mean, like anybody who's arrested, you get very anxious. But her biggest concern from the time she was arrested throughout was always what's going to happen to her children if she were to go to prison. And this is coming from someone who was vehement in her innocence and that she didn't know what was going on out there. But the charges were very serious and her concern was always my kids won't have anybody if if their dad and myself go to prison. And she was worried about that from day one. Always.
1: And so when you hear some theories, you know, about her just leaving town, what do you think of that? I mean,
4: Yeah, I, I don't believe in at all. I don't put any water in that. Um, it'd be completely inconsistent with the Brandy I dealt with. I, I didn't have a conversation with her that she didn't talk about worrying about her children. And mm-hmm. there, there's no way she up and leaves her
1: children, especially knowing that her husband was going to prison. There's no way. That morning, Brandy woke early. We know this because she was texting with her lover. Randall Richmond, starting at 5.54 in the morning. In fact, between 5.54 and 8.01 that morning, they exchanged 28 text messages, and Randall called her three times. The contact continues regularly through the morning until 9.46, when Brandy drives to West Melbourne from her rented home on Dunsell Lane in Malabar to have her hair done by her longtime hairdresser, Mindy Ford, who was also a close friend. The appointment lasted about an hour, and... According to comments made by Ford to investigators, Brandy was behaving in a normal manner. According to Sid's notes, we do know that later that morning Brandy speaks with her friend Cindy Farrington on the telephone, and it appears she was slightly unraveling. Maybe Brandy was worried about the new charges she faced. But Brandy made Cindy promise that she would take care of her children in the event she wound up in prison as well. After the phone call, Brandy was driving to the welding and fabrication shop she ran with her husband Jeff around noon, and she calls Randall twice, spending a total of 13 minutes on the telephone with him. Now, here's Jeff describing what their shop was all about.
3: We had our shop over here, fabrication shop, and truck performance. So we did truck lifts, tires, rims, but you know, build t-tops for offshore boats, airboat stuff. You know, just a little bit of everything. Just basically redneck, all the redneck sports. Four-wheelers, um, but we did a lot of diamond plate boxes and um, a lot of boat stuff, you know, trolling um, towers, boat towers and airboats. We started building airboats, airboat cages, airboat you know aircraft motors and stuff like that. We had a couple people that worked for us, you know, that were
1: there f- full-time. When she gets to the shop, Brandy spots her old friend Stacy Jellison, who was installing laser cable off of Wickham Road in West Melbourne, right near the shop. Now, Jellison told Sid Liddow in 2010 that she observed Brandy and Jeff arguing, and she could tell Brandy was crying. Brandy left the welding shop mid-afternoon and drove to yet another job she had. Her friend, Ronnie McClellan, the man mentioned during Season 3 who often lent Brandy money, hooked her up with a contracting job for holiday builders, putting in culverts on new houses. Remember Brandy was a hustler who was never afraid of hard work or getting dirty. Here is her mother, Debbie Rogie, talking about a time when Brandy was training for the fire department.
3: I remember one time when they lived down the road from us, she come riding on the bike. That's when my granddaughter was real little, she had her in the little wagon. She pedaled all the way down. I mean it had to have been like maybe four miles from down there. She rode the bike down with her in the back of the wagon, and then she got her fire gear on for a fireman, and we have a little deck there that had the steps that went up and then up, up onto the porch. She, it was so hot that day. She had all of her fire gear on. She kept going up and down them steps, up and down them steps, practicing. I don't know how she did it. I couldn't have done it.
1: According to phone records, we know that Brandy and Randall talked on the phone at 2.49 that afternoon. Randall's wife, Anne-Marie, was starting her nursing shift at Palm Bay Hospital at 3. And at 3.30 that afternoon, Brandy speaks with Stacy Jellison, the woman who saw her and Jeff arguing at the welding shop. According to Sid's interview with Jellison, Brandy tells her that she hates her husband, Jeff, claiming, quote, he's made her into something she's not, close quote. Could she be talking about the fact that she lost her job as a firefighter and had to hustle at other jobs to pay the bills? Remember, Jeff said that Brandy was furious with him about the arrest and losing her job, essentially blaming him. She, by all accounts, had to change her lifestyle. You see, Brandy could be kind of a big spender. Here is private eye John Lind, who has been working the case on his own and at times with Nick Sandberg.
0: Jeff had retired from the fire department. Together they owned a welding shop. And there was questions during the investigation about how much income they actually made versus their spending. And Jeff being retired, limited income from the welding shop, Brandy wanted to go out and earn some money um, for the the family. What she got was a job as kind of an independent contractor where she would fix culverts and driveways for, you know, non-town sewer-related properties that need the pipe that runs under the driveway, allows the water flow. And she needed a... Bobcat slash skid steer. The differences between the tires and tracks and how they use them, but it's basically a very small tractor with a bucket attachment. And Brandy needed that equipment in order to contract these jobs with some contractors she know she knew in Palm Bay to install driveways and culverts. And that is where uh, Randall comes in, where he uses his business to secure the equipment for Rand, for Brandy and actually purchases the skid steer, which Brandy is now
1: using and paying off. Keep that tidbit in mind. Brandy's lover, Randall Richmond, had financed an expensive piece of construction equipment for Brandy, called a skid steer, that she was paying off. A skid steer is like a small bulldozer. Basically, it is used for digging, but also has the ability to push and lift material. It is used often in construction and landscaping work. So Brandy goes to work putting in culverts that afternoon with a man by the name of Terry Elrod, a fact that was confirmed by firefighter Danny Coggins, who told Sid that sometime that afternoon before 4 and 4.30, he swung by the construction site and talked to Brandy for a little bit. He had known Brandy since childhood, having grown up as well in Bull Creek. Apparently that afternoon, Brandy and Elrod were working for Coggins, or he was overseeing the project. According to Coggins, Brandy told him that she was planning on leaving Jeff because she blamed him for their financial problems. Coggins told Sid that he had heard rumors of Brandy having an affair, but that she never spoke about it with him. Meanwhile, the texts and calls between Brandy and Randall are continuous. Texts at 420 and 423. An 11-minute phone call at 424. More texts at 457, 459. 503, 504. You get the picture. That afternoon, it began raining, and Brandy and Terry had to stop working. She promised Coggins that she would be back early in the morning before her husband's court appearance to finish the job. Coggins told Sid that Brandy would never break her word, which is why he found it very odd when she did not show up the following day. Normally, asking people questions years after an incident is tricky. Obviously, memories fade, and I'm not sure how accurate recounted stories are. But I also think you can count on a degree of reliability when that memory is tied to something as high-profile as a young firefighter and mother of two vanishing. In 2010, Sid interviewed a woman whose husband was an old friend of Brandy's. The woman said she went to Brandy's home around 5.30 to hang out a bit. She remembered Brandy coming out of the shower and getting ready to go work that night at the fire station. But her husband told Sid that he had not seen Brandy in years. Then he later corrects himself and says he ran into her briefly a few weeks earlier. Now fast forward to 2019. Here is private investigator Nick Sandberg whose information tells a different story about the woman who said she was in Brandy's house and her husband who said he had only seen her briefly a few weeks earlier.
4: I know at one point I had interviewed a couple people. Uh, they wished to stay anonymous, but they did give me some information that they had seen Brandy the day that she was going to the Malabar Fire Department. And this would have been around 5:30 uh, dinner time, uh, 6 o'clock. She was seen at a house of somebody that was well known to Brandy, um, a family friend. Uh, this individual and Brandy evidently had an argument. Uh, Sid actually had interviewed. Um, this individual and in the interview this they don't mention at all that they had any meeting with Brandy at their home that day. Um, Two people say that they did but in the interview with Sid he actually goes into the fact of telling Sid I haven't seen her in like over a year oh let me take that back I I seen her the other day at a, a job site and just kinda waved and said hello you know so that was kinda shocking to me that that information was withheld and needs to be looked into
1: I pressed him a bit to explain the connection to Brandy.
4: This was definitely an old family friend with a criminal record. We're still looking in and pinning down and interviewing people along with him. So at this time, I don't want to disclose his name. The witnesses that that I had talked to stated that she showed up and was kind of showing off her truck to them and then went off to talk privately with this individual. When she came back out, she was definitely highly irritated and so was the individual. And there was a little bit of verbal exchange um, and, and she left after that that moment.
1: Brandy then heads to the Malabar fire station at about 6.30. It had been an emotional and frustrating day for her. There was an argument with her husband, Jeff, and she complained about him to two other people. There was an emotional phone call where she pleaded with a friend to take care of her children. There was also, at least according to information provided by Nick Sandberg, another argument with a longtime friend who happened to be a felon. To make matters worse, she was dealing with the stress of her husband's pending sentencing the following day on drug charges. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Brandy's last known 24 hours, we'll learn about a conversation Brandy has with a fellow firefighter moments before driving away from the station, never to be seen by her loved ones again. Now I normally end every episode with a piece of audio that teases something we hope to reveal. But I want to simply leave you today with this little snippet of Sid Dow. telling me he would search for Brandy Hall until the very end.
5: You know, I would pray that we do find her. But whether we will or not, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm not going to quit. You know, I lost my best cheerleader, my wife. She was always saying, here, do this or do that. You know, here's some money. Go buy some more signs or something. So, um, but but I'm dedicated. I'll do it for for as long as I live. I'll be out there doing something with it.
1: Rest in peace, old buddy. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com backslash 321 Murder. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.